Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, if you're newer here, my name's Robert Belfour, and I seriously am a sinner, saved by grace by the Lord Jesus Christ. So just if you want to know what's the most important thing about me, those, those would be right up there. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really my privilege and joy to help people connect with God through His Word on Sunday mornings. So I want to do that with you again today. This message, you know, I was um, sitting around Saturday afternoon, still not totally knowing what I was going to be speaking on, which isn't a common experience for me, praise God, because it's not super comfortable, not knowing what you're preaching on the next morning, like 20 hours later or whatever it is. So that's not the best, um, but God knows what he's doing. And so the heart from this, this message actually came out of something um, my wife Jackie said to me who said she was going to be here for the message this morning, and yet she's not here, and so there you go. If any of you have her hidden somewhere, please give her back. I need her. Um, Anyhow, she said this morning, she was making this comment, and she said something along the lines of, you know, everybody in our house is happiest when they're really playing with Timmy. And that's you too, Rob. You're you're the happiest when you're really playing with Timmy. And so Timmy is our four-year-old adoptive son from Bulgaria who's got Down syndrome. And I think this is fairly common with people from Down syndrome. And if it is, Timmy's taking it to new levels. There's nobody in my world who can so play with you. When you're playing with Timmy, he is your world. You have 500% of his attention and he wants 10,000% of your attention. And if that is happening, it's just amazing. And so life is busy. And so sometimes I'll interact with Timmy, not the way he would like with all that attention there. But sometimes I kind of go, fine. And I give him my whole play heart. And what we do almost every single time is we play a game of um, King Julian hide and go seek. And so what happens is I put on my King Julian voice and I pick up Timmy and go, I'm going to try. I always blow the accents in front of people, but it's something along the lines of, oh, you're never going to find me now, Timmy. And I'll pick him up and I'll take him to his room and I'll put him on his chair. No, you're not allowed to find me. You'll never find me. I say, and then I run away. You can't find me. And then I'll go and hide somewhere like behind a wooden chair that you can absolutely see through it. And he'll come running down the, the wherever and find me. And he just, when he sees me, he just starts going, screaming and waving and then I grab him no 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 you're not supposed to find me and I'll pick him up and hold him upside down and carry him back to his room and throw him in the chair again and put pillows on top of him you're not allowed to move and then I'll go you'll never find me now and then I'll run out and I'll just like lie on the bench at our kitchen table which really threw him off because he couldn't like see my legs and so he's like that's gone and I think he got worried but and so we'll do that for 45 minutes the whole time I'm hoping nobody from church shows up at the front door, <laughs> seeing through the window and hearing me shout like King Julian at the kids. But um, I'm really happy during that time, just like anybody is when they've given themselves to playing with Timmy. Because when you do that, you're kind of forgetting about being a 39-year-old adult. You're forgetting about being a dad with responsibilities. You're forgetting about everything but just loving on this little person. 
And that's sort of the heart behind um, what I want to talk about today, because what I want to talk about today is this part in the First Corinthians where the Apostle Paul shares how his life is actually all about um, losing himself as much as possible in order to be the biggest blessing to the people in front of him for the sake of the gospel. That's what this is about. This, he, he's talking to the church and he's trying to share with them that he is willing to adapt himself as much as possible without losing Jesus in order to be the biggest blessing for whoever he's with for the sake of the gospel. And so I want to read to you our passage from Scripture. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'll read it, and then we'll talk about some background and then talk about some ideas of this wonderful life of kind of losing yourself for Jesus. Let's start. Chapter 9, we'll start in verse 19. Paul says this, writing by the Holy Spirit, and these are the very words of God. For though I am free from all, meaning he's, he's free from people because he's a servant of Jesus, he says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for you choosing to have your word come to us through this person, the Apostle Paul. Father, Greg was reminding us that there was a long period of time where Paul was the worst thing that had ever happened to the church. And your word says that at the first time a Christian was killed for his faith, Paul was there, glad it was happening. And here he is, many years later, talking about because of your grace and because of your salvation, because of your love for him, he is willing to lose himself completely to win people to you. Father, thank you that you didn't just make some words appear in a book, drop from heaven, but you brought your word through a man who embraced the cross and embraced the new life in Jesus and embraced true love for the people around him so that we can not only hear it, but see it happening through him. Father, I just want to confess, I am so far away from this. But Lord, I want to worship you and surrender to you and be transformed by your word. And so Lord, would you do that in our midst, in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the background here is that Paul is writing this, it goes over like four chapters, and he's writing to this situation in the church and trying to help them how to figure out how to be Christians in a city full of idols. Because in Corinth, everything about the Corinthians' lives would have to do with some kind of false god or not, or some kind of idol or not. And I didn't 
I was having, you know, it's hard to appreciate saying that to us. You're like, oh yeah, that, sure, why not? We have no idea what it's like to live in a city full of idols in Canada. We have no idea how, how saturated with little temples and little gods it would be like, unless you've maybe been to India or something like that. We have no clue. And so I was reading through um, St. Augustine's City of God, name drop, just kidding. Um, and he was talking about part of the Roman culture, like how saturated they were with idols. And so one example for the ladies, here's an example. If you were a Roman lady, here's just one area of your life and how many gods would be involved in it. There's a goddess for being a woman. And there's a goddess for virgins. And there's also a goddess for marriage. And there's also a goddess for losing your virginity. And there's also a goddess for having your period. And there's also a goddess for getting pregnant. And there's also a goddess for being pregnant. And there's also a different goddess for delivering your baby. And there's a goddess for moms. And so just one area of life, there's like a dozen goddesses who each have a little particular role in just giving birth to a child. Their whole life was like that. There's a god of doors, and there's a god of beds, and there's a god of tables, and there's a god of roofs, and there's a god of food, and there's a god of bread, and there's a god of goats, and there's a god of cows, and there's a god of sheep, and there's a god of chickens, and there's a god of forks, and there's a god of knives, and there's a god of... Everything. There wasn't one thing in Roman Greek life that didn't have a God associated with it. And then all of a sudden you're a Christian in a city that revolves around the idols and you know now that there's actually only one true God. How do you live like this? And the Corinthians were tackling this situation with quite a bit of arrogance. Okay, and so Paul is trying to get them to not be arrogant in tackling this issue. Because I think their, their, their response was kind of like, well, we know that they're not real now, but we're going to just do whatever we want. And Paul's response, as I understand it, and please read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Reading Rainbow. You don't have to take my word for it. You can read it for yourself, and I want you to read it for yourself. My understanding of it is that he comes back with four different responses, and we're going to talk about one. The first one is, Okay, if you think you're so smart that you can keep worshiping these idols because now you know they aren't real, have you ever thought how that might impact other Christians and maybe wreck their faith? That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is, if you're going to keep participating with idols, have you not thought about how that might encourage unbelievers to think that you're just faking it or something along those lines? Number three, he says, even if there are is only one God, there are still demons being worshipped at the temple worship, and you don't want to participate with the worship of demons because God will be jealous and unhappy about it. And number four, and this is the one we're talking about, he says, it doesn't work to live a life just trying to get what you think are your rights. It doesn't work to live a life where you've written down all the things you think you have a right to and then fight to get all your rights. That's the passage we're talking about here. Paul's saying that actually the only way to live life is to be happy to give up your rights for other people's good. And the only way to really be a Christian is to be willing to give up your rights for the sake of the gospel so that other people can grow in the Lord, and then you get to enjoy them growing as a Christian instead of just going, oh, my rights, get my rights, 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 rights. 
Gun, gun, gun. Pow, pow, pow. Rights, rights, rights. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular when I do that, so if I just reminded you of someone, it's purely coincidental. So before Paul talked about giving up all these things in order to win people or embracing things in order to win people, he says this. And he's talking about, interestingly, he's talking about his right to actually get financial support as a servant of the gospel. He says, yeah, I've got a right to actually preach and have a collection and have you actually put something in there. I've got a right to it. God's called me to this service. And part of the call to service is that you have a right to be cared for and provided for by the people you serve in ministry. But interestingly, Paul says, I'm not laying hold of this right. He wants to actually preach without receiving offerings in this case, because he wants to boast that he's just doing it for Jesus and not for the sake of rights and especially not for the sake of getting rich with these people who are too concerned about that kind of stuff. And so he's talking about how he'll just be willing to give up anything in order to win people. Okay. Do you think in our culture in the West where we can be concerned with what we're owed and our rights? I'm not telling you. I'm not even expecting a head nod. I was actually expecting like that still quiet that you get when the power goes out and you finally realize how many electronic things are buzzing in your house all the time. You know, when the power goes out and you're like, that's really quiet. Can somebody just start humming so it feels like normal? Can you just try to sound like the furnace? Okay, okay, everything's fine. Why is it negative 17 in here all of a sudden? Do you think we can be a pre- people preoccupied with um, getting what we want? Do you think that ever impacts maybe our home life? Do you think that might ever impact our church life? When I think about things like this, I think one of the things about being a Canadian, for me at least, this is my humble opinion, and I'm tr- going to try to keep it humble this time, is as a Canadian, we kind of know that we are so close to getting everything just the way we want it that we get really angry when it's not happening. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't have a war going on. Uh, We don't have, like, the bubonic plague making Dufresne just disappear because everybody in there dies. Or Dufrost or one of the Dews. We're not at a war. We're not in a plague. Um, despite the fear of global warming and stuff like that, the weather is still mostly predictable, mostly okay. We're not generally starving unless someone is stuck with somebody who's really relationally broken. Like, that's the thing that wrecks families nowadays. It's not that all your cows die from a plague. It's that somebody in your house is broken. So, by and large, we are so so close to having the perfect whatever you want here. And we have so many legal rights compared to everybody else in human history throughout all of time. We're so close to getting it just the way we want it that when it's not happening, we really feel robbed. Or maybe it's just me. Anyone? 
Bueller. Bueller. And so when I read Paul, like, guys, it's not, it's not always fun being a Bible preacher because this whole book is designed to kill your sin. And then it's like my job to like dive into it until it's owned me every week. And so it does feel a little bit like you're, you know, those BMX um, crash videos that everybody loves. Like when the guys go up to do one of those things where they twist the handlebars and instead of landing on it, on the wheels, they actually manage to get the handlebar sideways and they land on the handlebar and you're like, that guy's dead. That's what it can feel like for sermon prep sometimes because you have to, you have to, do it till it hurts. And so you read about the Apostle Paul and he says, I'm willing to become anything or lose anything to win people, but just not in any way that rejects Christ or forsakes Christ. That's what that little line is there. So to people outside the law, meaning the Greeks, the Romans, the people who aren't under the law of God, I become just like them, like God had never spoken, except I never lose the fact that I'm always under the law of Christ. Christ is always my Lord. He's always my master. I never sin against him knowingly. I never betray him. But I will become just like a Roman in order to win the Romans. And I'll become just like a Greek in order to win the Greeks. And it's so fascinating to me, at least, that Paul says to the Jews, I became as a Jew. What is Paul? He's a Jew. But he's talking about himself like he isn't. Because when he even thinks about himself as a Jew, he's a missionary while he's doing it. He's so lost his rights and his identity in Christ. When he talks about being a Jew, he doesn't talk about it like that's coming home. He talks about it like he's on mission. What? Can somebody just, can we all just, one, two, three, say what together? Just, it'll, it'll comfort me. One, two, three. What? what? Exactly. Do you understand? What? Like, he is a Jew. But he says to the Jews, I became as a Jew. What? It's like if I was saying, when I'm ministering to Canadians, I sit down and I remember, this is how Canadians are. And I should become like a Canadian. Everyone's like, you've never lived anywhere else besides here. What are you talking about? You used to kill people for not being Canadians. Paul used to kill people because he thought that they might be stopping Jewish people from the true Jewish worship. And now he's so just living with Christ that he talks about becoming as a Jew in order to minister to Jews. Here is somebody who's given up some rights. Amen? and is used to losing for the sake of the gospel. You know, I think about my play times with Timmy and and how much fun it is to, to play with him when I finally get to playing with Timmy Land. Like this morning I was doing, giving him a bath, um, which is totally not my favorite thing in the world, is to give kids a bath. 
It's, I don't know, you're just kind of sitting there. I, I'm, I'm kind of just like, I like to be moving. It's a, it's a real trouble to some people who live with me because they're like, let's have a conversation. And I'm like, okay. And so I stand up and then I move around and then I start fiddling with things in the kitchen and I'm listening, but I'm not in the same room anymore. And it's because I like to be moving. And um, so you're sitting by a bathtub and I'm just like, okay, hey, got to go for it. And so I pulled out the, the shark and I was just jawsing Timmy over and over again. Ba-na-na. Ba-na-na. And I was trying to get it so he could only see the fin of the shark going like across the side of the bathtub, which he was, he obviously didn't know what I was doing. But and then so I'd make the shark jump in and eat one of his toes and he loved it. And then I made the shark eat this little girl that was, I mean, a little toy girl that was by. And then I'm like, maybe he wouldn't love that too much. And I thought, because that was more about me, because I was like, yeah, you got to reenact that scene from Jaws. You know, don't go swimming at night. <laughs> but then you go back and just start eating his toes again. Okay, nobody would wake up in the morning going, I just want to eat a little kid's toes with a toy shark. Best part of my morning. It's so silly, right? But we know this. And I think if you think about it, this isn't just a Christian thing. To know that actually laying down our lives for other people's good is what life is all about. Okay? So, let's just rejig up things a little bit. No young man knows how selfish he is until he gets married. I'm painting that broad brushstroke just so I don't feel too guilty of it myself. Like, we're all in this together, right, guys? And it's, you know, crickets. But then you marry somebody, and they're they're all excited about it, and then you're just like, man, this is going to be great for me. And then a little bit later, I wasn't looking at anybody. (laughs) You realize it's not working, and you're getting some constructive criticism about how things are going And it turns out that actually it only works to be a husband if you're just laying down your life and dying all the time. It's actually the only way it works. Even if you're not a Christian, it's the only way it works. You're just there to like provide and protect and and have and not get what you want for other people's good. That's how it works for everybody. Like you don't even have to come to Jesus if you start just giving up what you want to do so that other people do better in your house, everything will be better. And you can still be an atheist or an agnostic, but your life will change because this is just how it works. Because picked on the guys a little bit, I'll pick on the other option. No lady knows how selfish she is until she's had her first child. Right? And then there's this little being right there who just hurts you to get out, and then they're right there, and they don't care how much sleep you got. They don't care if you have a cold. They don't care what your mother-in-law just said. They're awake, and they need food now. And you can't say, go back to bed, I'll see you in the morning. Because it could die. Right? But if all of a sudden you go, okay, it's not about me, I'm going I'm to do the do to make you live, then they grow up. Right? So all I'm trying to point out from these rather earthy, 
homespun analogies is that if we look around, we actually already know that, that trying to get as much for ourselves as possible does kill the things that we care about already. And embracing giving up ourselves for others is actually already the thing that makes life happy and worth living. Right? And I know, I know we need rights, and I know we need laws. Why do we have rights? You have rights because we live in a broken, sinful world, and we need things to protect ourselves from the worst about each other. So I'm not saying, let's get rid of laws and fire all the police. That would be anarchy and mayhem. I understand why we need rights. At the same time, life is in giving up what we deserve. Amen? Life is in laying down what we could claim in order to do good for other people. All right. Why is the world built like this? The world is built like this is because this is what God is like. Okay? Who God is is the most important question ever. And God is like this. God is like a father who is so generous that everything he has ever made, he is giving away. By the time salvation is done, there will be nothing that belongs to the Father that he has not given away to his son Jesus except for one thing, the name the Father. The Father will still have the name the Father. Boom! But all the universe and all judgment and all the church and all the gold and all the stars and all of space and all the technology and every single thing that God has ever made, he is giving to his son, Jesus, including the title Lord and all of his worship. He's giving it to his son, Jesus. Giving yourself away is what God does. And he loves it. And Jesus, in turn, because he's just like his dad, is giving away everything to us. By the time Jesus is done saving us, there won't be one thing in creation that doesn't belong to us, except for Godhood. We still won't be God. We'll be as like God as you can get. We won't be God, but we will own everything God has ever made. including the blood of his son. And I haven't even talked about the cross yet. We're coming into the Christmas season when we're going to all be keeping Walmart in business and Amazon in business by buying stuff for each other and remembering the the time when, when God came down and Jesus came. And just think about how much loss and not getting what he deserved Jesus got. He came down not only as the king of the Jews, but as the king of the universe. And he was born in a cave or a stable to some peasant girl. He should have been in a palace. He spent the young years of his life hiding out in Egypt because people were trying to kill him. The people who should have been worshipping him... (laughs) King Herod should have just been like, I was just keeping it warm for you. You know, he should have totally just given the entire kingdom to Jesus, tried to have him killed instead. And when he did come to his people, the Gospel of John tells us they they received him not. 
And the great gift that they gave their king was to publicly humiliate him and crucify him. And we could, I'm not even talking about like feeling sorry for Jesus, but just think about all the stuff he gave up to get to the cross. No soldiers, no armor, no castle, no chariot. He hoofed it. He hoofed it. His entire adult life, he hoofed it. When he could have had a litter of people carrying him on one of those, what are they called, sedans? He should have had a chair with poles and like buff dudes with swords carrying him around. And people saying, don't look at the king. He's too holy. Eyes down, eyes down, you slaves. If they did that, it wouldn't quite fit with the story, but it wouldn't even be what he deserved for all of his holiness and honor. He, he just laid it all down and laid it all down and laid it all down and laid it all down. Even though by nature he was God himself to the sinners, he became like a sinner in order to win the sinners. Amen? And he went through the just roughest, toughest life ever so that every single person in this room, if you come to Jesus in prayer, no matter what hard things you tell him or what failures and sins you confessed, Jesus can say to you, I totally understand what you're going through. And there are places in the world that would attack me and try to kill me for saying something like, God became like a sinner. And that's even part of the, the, the humility of Christianity is we go around saying, the God of the universe passed through a birth canal and then was convicted and condemned in trial, hung by his hands and nails until he suffocated to death. For some people, that, that kind of humility is just so unthinkable that they would literally pick up their chair and throw it at me to try to stop me from saying it. Crazy! All right. I've got three more minutes, and I'm going to use them because it's my right, and I deserve it. So Paul, after talking about his his lifestyle of trading what he could deserve to become like somebody else in order to win them for Christ, starts talking about athletics. Now some of you are finally going to start paying attention. He starts talking about sports. I think he even was talking like this when he was writing this out. And he starts this in verse 24. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. So in the old Olympics, if you came in first in something, they would have woven together some sort of like olive branches or something. And they put it. you never see those things behind the ears. That was their version of a Stanley Cup. And... Um, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So do not. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline, discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And I was just, I'm going like, do you, I want to understand things, right? I have some success and some failures in it, but how do you go from, I give up my life for the sake of the gospel and winning people to Christ to, um, let's talk about runners and boxers. 
And I think it's this. Are there any sport things? Is anybody playing some hockey ball professionally these days or football, but with the American one where people have muscles and not lean bodies? Is that happening these days? Somebody? Okay, thank you. I've got the head nod over there. Think about this. When we're thinking about lives where we're maybe concentrating on our comfort or concentrating on the life we want, we love to go and watch professional athletes do stuff, right? A lot of the guys do, at least, and, and many others as well. Think about how much suffering they have to go through to just be a losing professional athlete. Years of dieting, years of weight training, years of getting hit by people and getting back up, years of getting yelled at by a coach. Like uh, The kids like these things called bad lip readings. Anybody ever seen this thing where they take scenes from sports and they put other people talking over that? They're watching, they're kind of laughing, and I'm just thinking to myself, look at all the people yelling at each other during a football game. They're just like ready to tear someone's helmet off and beat them over the head with their own helmet. People are ready to do that, right? Because that just happened this week. They're going crazy, and I'm just thinking, and I'm thinking to myself, if this is happening at the games where the cameras are running, imagine how much abuse a linebacker has to go through just to get hired onto a professional team. Think about it. They've been broken, they've been yelled at, and every day they have to go, I want this, and get back up, just for the possibility of losing because almost all of them lose. Like I think about professional sport teams, any professional hockey player can go through their entire career and never win the cup. Right? That's crazy. And you know, what's your job? I get hit for a living. I get knocked down. People knock out my teeth. People break me. And then after the game's over, people go on the radio and tell everybody what a bad job I did. I love it! Okay, so this is what Paul's talking about. We, we know, if you think about it, that just punishment and abuse is their life. And then what do we like to do with it? We like to watch them get punished some more. And then tell them how bad they are at their job when they don't catch the catch. Crazy, huh? When you watch the next game, I want you to think about just how much abuse that person went through just to fail in front of you. Amen? Now this is the thing. Paul says, I think, it's confronting me at least, do you really want to live a life while you're being entertained by people who are were willing to suffer to actually do some good in a sport? Or don't you see that you're called to be someone who says yes to the cost of winning people to Christ? Right? Do you want to be entertained by people who were willing to suffer years of not having easy lives in order to just play a sport? Man, sometimes sports just blow my... Like, there's a ball. There's something over there. 
bet you can't get it through that thing. And then you get like a multi-billion dollar sport out of it. You know how competitive people are? This is the competition. I was thinking this. I just made it up this morning, and I'm going to do this. Whoever has... Watch this. Watch this. This is hilarious. This is going to happen. Whoever has the longest ear hair, January 1, you measure it, you send me a pic, I will give you $10. It has to be a hair growing out of your ear somewhere. Not beside your ear, not above your ear, somewhere by that. Okay. Someone's going to go for it. Someone's going to go for it. Because we're like that. You're welcome. Okay, let me leverage this. Let me leverage this. What can you lose that you want for Jesus? How can we make the move to the new place? Not about hopefully getting the church we've always wanted, but finding ways to lay down our lives so that other people can be one to Christ. Amen? How can we stop measuring how we're doing by whether or not we have the life we want and wonder what God has put in front of us next that we can actually try to become in order to win more people to Jesus? Amen? Paul said this, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. His whole life was on the altar because he knew that if he lived like this, God would save people through him. And I want you to know this. You may not grow the longest ear hair in the next couple of months, but if you will live being willing to become whatever it takes by God's grace and knowing we have limitations so that some people will come to Christ, God will use this. Okay, if you will look at Jesus, and we will look at Jesus together and say, God saved me by dying for me. Jesus, please lead me in how I can embrace some loss for other people to come to Christ. There is no chance in heaven that God will not respond to us. God will make it happen. Amen? So go get some. Go get some winning people to Christ. Go get some changing and not getting what you want so that other people can know Jesus better. Go get some. Amen? Like you can get the crown here. When Paul's talking about people run in a way that only, and, but only one person gets the prize, there's only one person who wins the Boston Marathon, that's not how it works in the church. Anybody who's willing to do this can get the crown. Anybody who's willing to say, Jesus... I know Disney Plus just came out, but I'm not going to binge all of Darkwing Duck. I'm just going to do two episodes. Then I'm going to go spend some time with somebody or send an encouragement text or do whatever else it is, read some scripture, pray. You can get the crown too. Amen? So, so let's do it. If, if there's one thing I want you to come away from this, I want you to come away from this knowing if, if, you, if we... Say to Jesus, I want to change so that people will be one to Christ. He will do it. Because it's not even about us. It's about Christ through us. Like, have hope. He will do it. It won't be how you think. It's never how we think. But He will do it. This is what He wants to do. 
This is the point of being the church. It's to lay down our lives for other people to be one to Christ. He will absolutely do it. We'll be amazed. But it may end up meaning that we sing all hymns for a month. Or that we go for having an epic rap battle with the youth. Anybody downloaded the Kanye album yet? Nobody? Somebody? Hand up. Somebody? Come on. Your pastor is asking you. Nobody? What if that wins someone to Christ? Are we sinning and doing it? No. Is it how we grew up? No. Was it how Paul grew up? No. His connection to how he grew up was so distant because of Jesus. He said, I have to go into practice to do church how I used to when I was a kid. What? Ah. Amen? Okay, I'm done. We should worship. I'm going to pray. So we've got stuff coming up. If you are touched at all from safe families, you can literally connect with people in crisis when they are most receptive to practical love through that. If you've got any yearning to connect with the lost, Brenda is gathering people December 1st, right? You can connect with that. The price is this. Everything but following Jesus needs to be on the table. Everything but obedience to Christ needs to be on the table. And if we live like that, who doggy and yes ma'am.